Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Hey, let's give a hand to the worship team. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you for leading us to worship. That was really powerful today. Hey, uh, we are here to gather this morning. We are gathering the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus has saved us. He is sanctifying us, and he will glorify us in him. That's what we are looking forward to this morning. Uh, today we finish our Meaning of Marriage series, and we're going to be talking about the goal of marriage. So one more time, we are going to, have you guys memorized this passage, by the way, yet? <laughs> We've read it enough. That was on purpose, by the way. But we're going to read Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33 one more time. So give your attention to the reading of God's word, please. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, this mystery, mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Beautiful, guys. Let's pray. Hmm. Lord God, we love you so much because you have loved us first. Lord, so many times we come to gather together to worship you, and we're coming because we want to hear the songs we like or we want to hear the message we like just the way we like it, or we want to see people that we like. Those are all okay things. But we've come to hear from you. We need you. We need you to tell us who we are. We need you to tell us who you are. We need you to renew us from the inside out. So I just pray that you would do that right now through your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Word. You would change us, renew us from the inside out through your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, uh, we mentioned this uh, before at the beginning of the series, but we've uh, been using Timothy Keller's book uh, to kind of help us outline this series and this topic. And we want to serve you guys uh, by making some quality, biblical-based uh, materials available to you guys. Um, so there's a few copies of that. If you still want to pick up a copy of that book, there's, like, I think, maybe four copies if you want to use that. Some of you have got that. You've taken it to help you process throughout the week uh, the stuff that we've been talking about with your spouse. It's been stirring up some conversations with your spouse or maybe the groups of people. If you want to avail yourself to that, 
They're right over there. So where have we been? We've, we've talked about the power of serving our spouse, the glue of a covenant. Uh, we've talked about the roles on the team, and we've talked about singleness as a gift. All of this in the context of how they relate to marriage. But what is marriage for? We've kind of been hinting at that throughout this series, but this is kind of what it's all been leading up to. What exactly is marriage for? When, if you remember back, those of you that are married, we, we were dating someone. Can you remember back? Some of you are going to have to really think hard, but it's just a joke, all right? When we were dating, there came a point at, in that relationship where we're like, we're going to need to define this relationship. You guys know what I'm talking about? What are we? What is this thing? that we're doing here together. Are we just having fun? Or is this more than just momentary fun? Where is this relationship going? That's the ultimate question that we ask. Where is this relationship actually going? Some of us answer that question by saying, well, I, I guess we're headed towards marriage. So we got married. But like we talked about last week, marriage cannot be the end goal for a relationship. After about two years, sometimes three years, something inside of us asked this question again. Okay, well, where is this marriage going? We just kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So where is this marriage now going? People change, and so do the things that we have in common. I mean, do people get married ultimately to have someone to sip drinks with in the sun or watch Friday night blockbusters until the day they die? I mean, that's nice and that's good, but is that really the grand goal of marriage? I mean, you don't even have to be married to do that if you think about that, right? I mean, do people get married ultimately to have a family to raise? Well, that's nice. That's a good thing, and it's nice, unless your children become the source of family dysfunction or they become the source of marital conflict for months of your life, sometimes years of your life. It's nice until your children who you love leave your house, and then all you have is your spouse that you're with. See, merely having a family is not grand enough of a goal to see us through all the way to the end. You know why? Because marriage is a lot of work sometimes. Have you figured that out? It's a lot of work. It doesn't just, like, you don't just set the dials to autopilot. You actually have to work on it. And here's the thing. We will only be content to work on our marriage for, for so long with such shallow goals. The goal of marriage determines its worth for us. And we need a goal worthy of years of effort and improvement. And deep down inside, we know that. We feel that. You see, the goal needs to be grand enough and big enough for it to last us the rest of our life. And that is exactly the vision of marriage that the scriptures set before us today. Here in Ephesians 5, Christian marriage is designed to personally transform us by giving us a beautiful future to walk towards and a deep friendship to help us get there. Christian marriage is designed to personally transform us by giving us a beautiful future to walk towards and a deep friendship 
friendship to get us there. And so what I want to do this morning is just take that statement and break it in half and just talk about each, unpack each half of that statement this morning. So let's start at the beginning. Number one, Christian marriage transforms us by giving us a beautiful future. A beautiful future. The most meaningful relationships are relationships that are going somewhere. They got a direction and we're heading that way. You think about in your life, the relationships that have impacted us the, the most, they've met, left this mark on our life, are the relationships that, that we had a common destination with the people or the group that we are with. We're all going the same direction together. In Ephesians, Paul tells married Christians that your common destination, get this, is becoming a new creation in Christ. One day your character will be perfect and glorious like Christ, our Redeemer. And your marriage is actually part of that journey. It's part of a way of getting you to that destination. Look at Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 26. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 26, that he, there's a purpose statement, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, these, these verses, you know, we read them every week. They're really easy to read. They're kind of difficult to understand. So we're just going to take them maybe a couple of times, okay? Paul jumps abruptly from instructions to the husbands over to how marriage is a symbol, what Christ has done for his people. Verse 26, he, it means Christ, he sanctified us. That means he set us apart from the others. Christ has given his people a new status. It's a new identity, if you will, all right? Instead of strangers, he has set us apart as his bride. And, and, and just like with marriage, this new identity is the first thing that we receive when we come to Christ. We're his bride. We're his beloved. We're his people. So think about this. It's like at a wedding, Right? And a minister declares to the wedding guests, all the, the congregation that's standing there, I present to you, he comes around them, he's, they've said the vows, they've exchanged the rings, I present to you for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. X. It's called the presentation. He presents them to the people. Now, they've only been joined together for like 20 seconds, right? They have not lived together as Mr. and Mrs. X. Because they hadn't had a chance to do that yet before he makes this declaration. Yet the minister, symbolically standing in the place of God, declares them husband and wife to everyone that's witnessed that union. He, he declares that they're husband and wife, like they deserve that title, even though they haven't lived that way for 50 years. He's declaring upon them and pronouncing upon them a new identity. Christ, in the same way, has declared us cleansed from our sins and sees us as his new bride. Right now, he sees us as his new creation. Now, the question is, now, how did he do that? How did he declare us that? Paul says in this verse, in the Greek, literally, he says, by the water bath. Now, this is really interesting. Like, this is the kind of stuff that pastors geek out about during the week, all right? This is interesting. Paul is using a marriage metaphor that both his Jewish and his Gentile readers would understand. They would be able to connect and relate to this uh, 
understand this symbol that he's talking about. In both Jewish and Greco-Roman culture, the husband and wife would take a nuptial bath before the wedding ceremony. Did you know this? I didn't know this. This is really interesting. They would take a nuptial bath before the wedding ceremony. They would do this to cleanse themselves and also to groom themselves. And we kind of do this before we get married, right? We have someone do, up, do our hair up and usually we, guy will take a bath, you know? We do this, right? But here's what would happen. They did this to help them look and smell their best for their spouse on their wedding day. So Paul, speaking metaphorically, says that we were declared cleansed from our sins and set apart as his bride. Here's why. Because Christ gave us a marriage bath. Christ gave us a marriage bath. And the water that he used was the gospel. The water that he used was his own life and death and resurrection. When we responded in faith to the message of Christ's triumph over sin and death, through his resurrection, we became cleansed of our sins and we were bonded to Christ in covenant as his beloved, his bride. We became married to Christ. And Paul is trying to tie that very closely what, what the gospel is saying to marriage. So what, so what is the goal of this? What is the goal of Christ's marriage to us? What is the goal of this covenant relationship? That's great that that has happened to us, but he still has to explain why. We need to understand this goal because Paul has so closely tied marriage with, marriage with Christ and the church. So understanding Christ's goal should help us actually understand earthly marriage better. They inform one another. So look at, look at the next verse. So that, so there's, no, there's purpose statement right there. So that, he did this through the gospel, right? So that Christ might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy, get this, and without blemish. That's why he did this. So, so the goal is that we become what we are declared to be. His worthy spouse, his worthy bride that he wanted to link up with forever and ever. Perfect, worthy bride. But we're not that perfect spouse yet, are we? Presently, we still sin against each other. We still sin against God regularly, daily. And so Paul is saying here in verse 27 that Christ is going to help us visibly become what we already are, a new creation. And that's why, he, well, that's why Christ did what he did. The Apostle John describes our beautiful future in much the same way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, beloved, that's, that's got a whole new interesting ring to it now, doesn't it? Bride? Beloved, right? Beloved, we are God's children when? Now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Do you see the already, not yet? And what we will be has not yet appeared. It hasn't been visible. Like, you don't see that. I don't see that completely yet, all right? But we know that when 
he appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We'll visibly be able to see this now with our own eyes, right? And everyone who thus hopes in him, like, so everyone who believes that's your future, everyone believes that's what God's going to do to his people. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We say, let's get on with it. Let's go that way then. If that's what we're going to be like, then let's start seeing some of that now. I'm excited about that. I want to purify myself because I'm already pure. Does this make sense, guys? One day we, this is amazing, one day we will actually be like Christ without sin defiling our thoughts, without sin defiling our behavior, our actions, our choices, our responses. Like, does that get you excited? Like, imagine that happening to you. Yes, you. Imagine that happening, like, you're that person. We will be perfectly full of wisdom and full of courage and love. Like, we will know how to respond to every person in exactly the right way. Have you ever wanted that? you ever want to know, like, I, I just wish I knew how to respond to that person right now, as tired as I am? Like, like you will be that person. You will know that perfectly. We will no longer be fearful. We won't be crippled by anxieties that we have. We'll no longer feel the need to prove ourselves. We'll no longer be defiled by prejudices, but we'll see each other as all image bearers. We'll be perfectly self-controlled. Can you imagine that? We'll be perfectly self-controlled. We'll be completely generous. We'll be completely patient. We'll be perfectly peaceful. Like, imagine that happening to you. Isn't that the person you've always wanted to be? That's the person I've always wanted to be. So just imagine, that's your future. That's our future in Christ. We're going to be the person deep down we really always wanted to be. We just couldn't quite get there. We're going to be that. That is beautiful. Like whatever you want to call beautiful, that's beautiful. That is a future worth aiming your entire life at right now. Amen? Christ married us to make us glorious as he is glorious. And when we finally see what we are, there will be much singing and rejoicing and celebrating, kind of like at a wedding reception where the music's thumping, right? And everyone's glad-hearted. And I'm so happy for you. Look how beautiful she looks. Look how beautiful he looks. Yeah, we're going to actually say, look how beautiful you look. Perfectly. It's glorious because that's what Christ has made you. I knew that was you. And now I see that it's you. Are you this, is, this is our future. Isn't that amazing? This is good news. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, what then is marriage for? Okay, bring it back down here. It is for helping each other to become our future glory selves the new creations that God will eventually make us. The common horizon husband and wife look towards is the throne and the holy, spotless, blameless nature that we will have. So that's the purpose of being married if you're married. Marriage is given 
to us to help us walk toward our beautiful future day after day, month by month, year after year, a little bit at a time? How can I experience more of that right now? Because that's the way it's going to be forever. We, we, through our marriage, we help each other become more of who we are in Christ. Now, that is a grand goal, is it not? That is an epic goal for marriage. In marriage, we are committed to helping, get this, helping our spouse become more of who Jesus is making them, not who we want them to be, not to be made in our image. I want you to be this wife. I want you to be this husband. No, who is Christ making you to be? I want to help that become visible. We want to help more of his beauty, his perfection, his greatness come out of our mate because of how beautiful he's making them. Secondly, Christian marriage transforms us through deep friendship. Okay? So, so marriage transforms us through a deep friendship. Christ has given us a beautiful future to walk towards in marriage, that becoming that new creation, the person we were made to be, and frankly, the person we really have always wanted to be. We just didn't know it yet. We're not able to walk that way on our own. Remember what God said in the beginning, right? It is not good for man to be alone. We're not made to, to live in isolation. That doesn't mean you have to be married, but we're not made to do this on our own and alone. We can't do that. He's, he's designed it where we need one another. We cannot become all that Christ has made us to be on our own. We need help. We need a partner that is willing to go on this very long journey with us. What we need is deep friendship. Only a friend's gonna go that long with you, Amen. Everyone else is busy. You need a friend to do that. This is where the Christian view of marriage is unique from the modern world. When we marry someone, we're binding ourselves not merely to an attractive lover, but to an attractive friend. It's being holistically attracted to them. They're a friend. In fact, they're our best friend when we marry them. Adam calls Eve his friend when he speaks that poem to them, the first wedding. At last, I've looked. I've looked at the cows and the dogs and the alligators and the birds, and he's named all that stuff, right? And they all paraded for whatever that category of species he, he named him, right? At last. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. my friend. I know you. You're my friend. The female speaker in the Song of Solomon says something very similar when she says, this is my lover. This is my friend. Deep friendship in marriage is vital for us to experience all that God is presently creating in us, and that's because there are at least two components of deep friendship. We need revealing truth and steadfast love. In order to have a deep friendship, you need revealing truth. A trustworthy friend will tell you their honest opinion and not try to flatter you so they can manipulate you to get stuff they want out of you. They're going to tell you their honest opinion. That's Proverbs 27, verse 9. 
A true friend will even rebuke you when you are in the wrong so that you won't hurt yourself with your foolishness. Proverbs 27, 6, a faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oh, you look so great. Everything you do is great. Every choice you make is great. See other contrast in the two? Just because they say you look good doesn't mean they're your friend. True friend will make you wiser and more thoughtful person by clashing with your perspective from time to time. That's Proverbs 27, 17. You see, a true and trustworthy friend cares about us enough to confront us with the truth about ourselves. And in a marriage, the way that that's designed, your spouse knows the real you. You know why? Because they're the closest to you. And you open up your whole life together. They know the real you. Like, they see your character flaws, amen? They see what you really stink at. They see who you really are. They see your insecurities. They see it like, like daylight, right? They see the idols that you actually worship and actually control you instead of God. They see it. They see all the stuff about you that you burn all kinds of calories trying to hide from everybody else on Sunday morning. They see it. They hear it. They smell it. They know it, right? They know the truth about you like nobody else. It's because their life is so intertwined with yours, you are forced to deal with it, right? It grabs you by the scruff of the neck and goes, hey, what is going on here? Like, I know that that's okay with them. They don't know you. I know you. Like, this can't keep going on because you're in just such close proximity. Every decision you make, they're intertwined with that decision. You can't get away from them. Like this huge, humongous tree trunk in the middle of your living room. You've got to na navigate around it, right? Every time you want to go, they know you. Sometimes they'll confront us with our character flaws intentionally. Hey, we're going to sit down and we're gonna, we need to have this talk. Like, we need to talk about this right? And they'll do it that way. But sometimes they'll confront us with our character flaws unintentionally. They're not even trying. Just by the fact that they're different. They're in the same room and they're just different. They just do it differently than you, right? But our spouse is constantly acting like a mirror and they're reflecting back to us our true, hidden character. The character of our heart. It's like living in a house of mirrors. Again, I think Keller's really helpful here. He says, when you get married, your spouse is a big truck driving right through your heart. Marriage brings out the worst in you, like no other relationship. It doesn't create your weaknesses, though you blame your spouse for your blow up. It reveals them. You always were that angry person. But now you just can't get away from it like you could get away from it with all your other friends. That's really you. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to say this. Hey, this is not a bad thing, though. How can you change into your glory self if you assume that you're already pretty close to perfect as it is? <laughs> you can't. God's designed it this way for your good, for my good, right? 
We need to embrace this as part of that design. A deep friendship that, that gets us to our destination is one where the person is able to show you who you really are when no one's looking. But a deep friendship also has this component, steadfast love. A deep friendship will have steadfast love. You see, a true friend loves us at all times, even when it's difficult, even when we're not our best. A true friend loves at all times. That's Proverbs 17, 17. They are decidedly, emphatically for us and for our good, regardless of the circumstances. A true friend sticks closer than a brother. That's Proverbs 18, 24. They will not abandon us when we make a mess of things, in other words. And not only this, but they see the best in us when we see only the worst. That's steadfast love. I see the best in you when all you can see is the worst right now. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. They're going to hope the best for you, even though you said it wrong. They're going to believe the best in you, though you're not doing that right now. That's love. Lots of people will confront us with the truth about ourselves, right? Just get in your car and take a ride out to the highway. People have no problem telling the truth of what they think about you. But most of the time, they tell us the truth in a way that is unloving. In fact, it's destructive. It's dehumanizing. And so how do we respond? Well, we respond by ignoring that. Even if it's true, I'm going to ignore that. Or I'll fight back. I'll fight fire with fire. Which last time I checked just burns everything down, right? That's a lot of fire. But in marriage, our best friend confronts us in a way that brings life. They're doing it in a way that is good for us, even though it may sting a little bit at the moment. And why? Why do they do it this way? Why? Because they also see the good in us. They also see the best in us, even though it may be buried. That's what it means that love hopes all things and believes all things. In marriage, our spouse loves us steadfastly. They love us when we're our better self, and they love us when we're our worse self. Isn't that our marriage vows, for better or for worse? That is to me like, like economy. That means you, when you're your better self and when you're your worst self. I vow to love you steadfastly. And that's why this is what we need. This is what we need to walk towards transformation. We need a friend that loves us in our mess, but will not leave us in our mess. You guys tracking with me? We need a deep friendship, one that has truth and love. And that's what we need to reach our goal in marriage. And this is only possible through Christ. This is only possible through Jesus Christ. You see, both our future and our friendship are made possible by Jesus. God has called us to be a true friend to our spouse, to help them walk toward the person that Christ has called them to be. And we are called to be the friend that will love them in their mess, but will not leave them in their mess. But guys, listen, if we are honest, and I hope that we can gather on Sunday mornings and be honest, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we are not that kind of friend for our spouse, are we? Typically. 
We're not that kind of friend for our spouse naturally. Am I right? We are usually, naturally, we're willing to be one of those things, but not both of those things at the same time. Because that takes a lot of energy. And that's really, like, we take a personal cost when we're that way. Like, we're okay to say, look, I will love them. I will love them no matter what happens. I will love them, but I won't confront them with their mess. And that's because you're scared. You're scared. Or we'll do this. We'll say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll confront them. I'll tell them the truth about who they really are because I see it. I got no problem confronting them with the truth of who they are, but it's not because I love them. It's not because I really care for them. It's not because I really want good for them. They just, I just need to get this off my chest. You just need to know this. See, we're usually naturally one of those two things, which is not a true friend. We're not naturally good at this, guys. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. Jesus is the true friend to us that we could never be for our spouse so that through his power we could be that true friend that they need us to be. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus simultaneously confronted us with the truth about ourselves and displayed steadfast love. At the cross, both those critical things kissed. They met at the cross. Jesus confronted us with the truth through his death, that we're so self-centered, he had to die. Like, I, I got to step in and intervene. These people are so self-centered, they'll kill themselves if I don't do something about it. And that's who you really are and who I, really, who I am. Only the death of Jesus was powerful enough to cleanse us from the grip of self-centeredness. Yet his death also shows the extent of his love for us. Christ loved us in an unguarded way. He didn't love us 90%. I'll hold 10 back in case they hurt me. He went, all of me for all of you. All of me for all of you. And I know how this is gonna work out for me. Steadfast love. I'm gonna finish it. I'm gonna go all the way with you. I'm gonna love you all the way. I will not stop loving you. He loved us steadfastly, even unto death. The cross of, cross of Christ is Jesus basically saying, I see the worst parts about you, and I'm confronting you with that. You need me. Yet I deeply love you. I deeply love you, and I will never stop loving you. I love you to the end. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He has been the friend that we desperately needed, full of truth and love, and this is what makes us want to be a friend to our not yet glorious spouse. This is what makes it happen. Understanding that, believing that, meditating on that. So here's how I want to end, just some practical application here. There, there's many small, very small ways that we can help our spouse walk toward their future glory. You guys, we can do this. This is doable, all right? One of them is just by praying with them, not for them, with them regularly. Not every day, but regularly pray with your spouse. And it doesn't have to be a long time, okay? I'm talking like two minutes, maybe three if you get crazy, all right? 
But the point is not how long, it's the regularity. It's the rhythm. Two minutes regularly. Hey, just, can we just quick say a prayer? Like, maybe ask them a few questions. What are, you, what are you worried about and concerned about right now, today? Or what are you looking forward to today or this week? And then you just take two minutes and you just pray through those uh, you know, responses, okay? You can do this. Uh, it could be this way. You could start your day at the breakfast table. Maybe you read a scripture together. You read it out loud and you're, you're all hearing the same thing. So you read together and then you meditate on what the word of God is that day throughout the day and you help it set the course of your life. You check in later that day, right? You, you, you acknowledge, you call out what you see the Holy Spirit of God doing in your spouse's life from time to time. Hey, look, I see there's joy in you. I see there's love. I know you've been more peaceful and less anxious. Praise God for what he's doing. You're, you're calling out the best in them that Christ is doing from time to time. That helps us step towards that future glory self. And if you're someone that you need, you're, maybe your marriage is really rough right now. You're just in battle mode and you need to get some outside help, get it. Look, I'm telling you, get help. There is help available to right the ship. Don't use that as an excuse. Over at our welcome table, we've got some, some um, cards and we've got some Christian counselors that do marriage counseling. Avail yourself to those resources. We'd recommend that for you. On those cards also, there's another resource. We've got the emails of all of our elders. Just maybe it's maybe just having a bad week, okay? You need someone to pray for you? Write, write one of our elders, and they'll give you a call this week sometime, all right? They're not going to fix your problem, but they will pray for you, okay? That's what we can do. So you have that. You can grab one of those books and just start talking through, through some things with your wife. There's all these resources we have really deliberately made available to you throughout this series to help you guys. But you got to grab that. Like, you've got to do something with that, okay? We really love you guys. If the main purpose of your marriage is for you to become glorious as Christ is glorious, then you need to step towards investing in, in this goal, okay? We love you guys. Christ loves you more. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us at, cost, at great cost to yourself. Thank you for loving us all the way. Thank you for being the true friend that we so desperately needed. And Lord, I pray that right now you start changing hearts. Oh, Spirit of God, I pray that you would start right now just speaking to hearts. Pray that you start magnifying the grace of Jesus Christ and you start illuminating these action steps. Walk this way, children. Walk this way, children. Start doing that right now. Pray for marriages that need to be righted. They've just been wounding each other. Pray that you would bring healing, bring humility where we would forgive and ask for forgiveness. Relationships where things are fine but we just plateaued. We've forgotten what this is really about. We think it's about our own personal pleasure and that's the total of it. Lord, get, help us aim higher. 
Help us have a higher vision of what this is for. Glorify yourself in our life. Glorify yourself in your church. And I thank you for grace. And I thank you for your grace. You have forgiven us of all of our sins, all of our wanderings. You have forgiven. And there's nothing we can do to make you love us more than you love us now. That has been completed. And so let us, let us obey you now because you love us. Amen. Amen.